The Courage to Lead, Episode 72. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Uh, please help me welcome Joanne Rencher. Great. Thank you, Harlan. I am right. so excited to be here. Oh, I'm glad you're on the podcast. So Joanne is an innovative entrepreneur and trailblazer. Her firm, WGN in HR Consulting, operates in three practice areas, strategic HR solutions, executive search, and coaching. Joe has worked at the C-level for major conglomerates, iconic nonprofits, social entrepreneurs, and in developing countries. Her career includes several firsts, the first chief business and talent officer for the Girl Scouts, the first chief people officer for the American Red Cross in Greater New York, and she was recruited to build the first global HR unit, ultimately leading a matrix team on four continents, six countries for the first public-private partnership to work on a vaccine for the AIDS virus, the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative. Joe began a career in the financial services industry for a GE Capital Bond insurance business, where she won several leadership awards. She's the 2016 winner of Get Five's HR Hero Award for Outstanding Mentorship. She recently hosted a weekly podcast entitled Real Talk About the Workplace. Joe is the author of Tough as Nails, Finding Your Voice as a Woman in the Workplace. Joanne, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I, I love being here. I love the fact that we seem so aligned on so much of our, our of what makes us tick and what Absolutely. gives us passion. So Absolutely. Excited. Yeah. Passion, I think, is is a good word because uh definitely we we share some commonality. So I, I want to go into all this. I want to learn more about you, your background, mm. how you got started. Want to learn about your consulting, what you do, and mm. uh all of that. But first, I have some questions. <laughs> These are Questions that I ask every one of my guests. These are questions made popular on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his guests, right? Hollywood stars, uh, TV, films, green stage. <laughs> and I figure if they're good enough for my the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So yes. if you are ready, I have I 10 know. questions for you. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Question number one. What is your favorite word? Encourage. And what is your least favorite word? Hmm. Hate. What turns you on? Helping people get to the next level. Nice. What turns you off? discouraging thoughts and naysayers. Very cool. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Hmm. That's a tough one. I love, I love the sound of music. <laughs> Isn't that a movie somewhere? <laughs> I actually do love the sound of music. Awesome. Any specific kind of music or just all music? Uh, no, definitely not all music. I mean, I have, different genres that, um, you know, I sort of like a little old school in terms of 
you know, the Motown era. Oh, I, yeah. I love gospel, certain nice. gospel songs in particular. Uh, so yeah, specific songs, but the sound of music and the, 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 the beauty of music is really awesome. Great. Um, what sound or noise do you hate? Probably the scratching of the, you know, the nails on the chalkboard. I mean, that's probably pretty popular and that yes. definitely does it for me. <laughs> it does it for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite curse word? I honestly don't have one. I, I, I don't, I hate curse words. And so I don't have a favorite. And so I, I, I definitely have no chips to play on that, on that, on that question. <laughs> I don't so have a favorite. If you stub your toe in the middle of the night, you're getting up to get a drink of water. You stub your toe. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Ouch. I mean, I, I, I really, yeah, I can't, I, I don't. Okay. And I, um, yeah. No, that's that's totally acceptable. Absolutely. Wasn't Perf always like that, Harlan, but yeah, that's what it is today. Yeah. No, same here. Same here. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, I I would I've always had visions of I'm gonna cheat a little bit of being uh a lawyer, but also a journalist. Those are two that always swirled around in my head at some point. Nice. Yeah, at different points in my own career and I just have a fascination with both of those. Cool. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Architect. I, okay. I have absolutely no talents whatsoever in those areas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, I know it does. And so I'm looking to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Good job. That's what I'm hoping. That's what I'm praying for, Harlan. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, so we will be back in just a second. We're going to talk about, like I said, your career, how you got started, how you got into the consulting area, and uh, what do you think about courage and leadership? Okay. Nice. And we'll talk about that right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we are back with my guest, Joanne Rancher. Thank you so much again for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. And I, I want to learn excited. more about you and your background. So tell me how you got started. Well, I, I got started years and years ago and you sort of, I sort of have a, you, you read the bio and so I won't go over it again, but I love business, all things business. I'm just a geek when it comes to business and models and plans and strategies. And uh, I love the concept of leadership. And so it wasn't hard for me to figure out that that's, I needed to do something in or around the world of business. And so getting into the business world and financial services probably wasn't my my um my game plan in you know in an intentional kind of a way but I'm glad I did I think starting off in 
in financial services and building a foundation with a, uh, a major company like GE Capital kind of helped me cut my teeth yeah. in the business world and figure out you know, some things learning from the best. But across my career, as I've done those various roles and grown as a, as a business leader, a C-suite leader, I think being able to birth this particular business that I'm in today uh, is exciting to me because it was five, well, almost six years ago that I stood on a stage and I looked at a bunch of senior HR people and I said, well, what about you? Let's not be the cobbler's children where you're always thinking about someone else and developing someone else and um, growing someone else or promoting someone else, supporting someone else. What about you? Who's got next in this crowd? I said to them. And literally, that's when the business was was birthed by that question to these group of you know, HR leaders: Who's got next in HR? Who who among nice. you is ready for that next that next move? And that's how the business technically was born. And I love that name because it's. I, I think you're right. Too often, we take care of our clients. Too often, we look out for them, and we don't think about our own careers. We don't think about the things that that we need. Yeah. So yeah, I love the whole idea. Who's got next? That's yeah. perfect. And so I don't. We yelled that out. as kids. We exactly. yelled that as kids. You know, we're playing out in the field or playing out in the streets or something like that. Yeah. That's right. On a on a basketball court, mm -hmm. somewhere in a basketball court, someone saying, "Who's got next?" <laughs> um, and so I, I don't spell it out now. I, I it it's W G N in H R, but I I I used to talk about it um, in its kind of long form years yeah. ago because that's how it was birthed. Nice. <laughs> so in the financial industry, you work for GE Capital. What did you do for them? I started off in this sort of, I guess you would call it these days more of a generalist role. I was sort of doing everything as I was working my way up the ladder and learning the learning the business, learning about the parent company, GE, um, working across different client groups and in the bond insurance world. Eventually, I veered into the HR arena, and I, I, I stayed there for the bulk of my career, although I've done other work and non-traditional HR roles, I eventually merged into HR at that GE business and became an HR manager. And they were in the midst of this massive rein, reinvention, or as we would call it these days, restructuring or right, right. transformational initiative. And and really grew uh, tre tremendously because I had to wear so many different hats and learn and just jump in regardless of whether or not I'd done it before. So it was, it was a really amazing experience working with some pretty amazing people. Wow. And how long, how long are you with GE? Uh, probably just under five years. Okay. And so it was that moment where I, I knew, as I said, I, I've always loved business and, and sort of, boy, did I get myself really immersed in it there, there. But I also knew as I got to the end of my tenure that I probably wanted to do it in different settings. You know, that's where I sort of, veered into the nonprofit arena because I just wanted to get more exposure in the whole social impact, mission-oriented kinds of organizations. Yeah, very yeah. nice. So what uh, nonprofits have you worked for? So I, I, I've been really fortunate. I mean, I, you know, I started in this huge uh, idea that was, was born probably five years before I joined, which was we can, as a public-private partnership, actually figure out how to use research and advocacy to solve the crisis the, of, of the AIDS virus. Mm -hmm. It was a ma major idea that was um, 
you know, was nurtured by the founder and other people sort of became believers and jumped on board. And five years later, um, I joined and it was a true startup. It was about learning, you know, sort of growing this, this idea into from a public private partnership into something that ended up, you know, uh, around the globe. And I ended up on different, you know, four different continents, six different countries, building a unit from scratch. It was an amazing experience um, working in a global setting like that. And it was, and it is a nonprofit, it still exists, uh, but it was also a very different kind of nonprofit. So the cause was amazing, but it also functioned very much like a a conglomerate in many ways, a big business that had multiple stakeholders. So it was a, a great experience. Then I went to the Red Cross as the first chief people officer. And that was born out of another idea that, whoa, are we really ready for an, the next catastrophic event? You know, it was several years after 9-11, but people were still, it was still quite fresh on everyone's minds. Sure. What if we had another event? Would we be ready as a Red Cross? Red Cross responds to about eight to 10 on average emergencies a day, which sure. most people don't know. But what about the next catastrophic? Would we, would we be ready? And so my position was born out of that strategic plan and chief people officer role was what I, I um, walked into and shaped and formed. And we ended up quadrupling the workforce from a volunteer and mostly volunteer standpoint, but also paid staff to get ready for that next event should it, God forbid, ever happen. So that was an amazing experience. Wow. Yeah. The American Red Cross, people don't realize all the things that go on behind the scenes, how yeah. active they are and the things that they do and the things that they offer. You know, yes. there's a lot of stuff that they offer, you know, free uh, information packets and, and things like that to, yeah. to try to help out. Yeah. Stipends, you know, for people that have just been burned out of their homes, you know, what do you do next? Where do you go? Yeah. You know, and so, so little, you know, packages, care packages, love packages, essentially, to help people get back on their feet, connections to, to resources. I mean, there are a lot of things the Red Cross does that I think a lot of people don't know as they whiz by in the, yeah. in the trucks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes, and I was really privileged to be part of that. Nice. And so then it was after all this that you started Who's Got Next? Well, it was kind of, it, 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 not quite. I mean, I went, you know, I sort of dabbled in the uh, consulting world for another consulting firm that was working exclusively with nonprofits. Okay. And so they were working with social entrepreneurs and venture philanthropist types that could really um, actually convince people that they wanted to change the world and, and, you know, do amazing things, college possible, room to read, the Children's Aid Society, you know, folks that are leading in, in very, um, I think, impressive parts of the world to change lives or, under, you know, support underserved communities, those kinds of things. And I was working as a consultant with them on the team. And that's probably when I, I started to kind of get the bug of, I feel like I should do this independently. Yeah. Uh, but I wasn't really ready to step out on my own. And so I, you know, I did that uh, for a short stint to kind of get my feet wet in the consulting world. Sure. Um, and then I went into ed reform after, uh, you know, deciding, you know what, I want to, I'm not quite ready to do, to, to do the consultancy. And ed reform uh, kind of came knocking and I worked for the new teacher project 
as their uh, vice president of human capital, essentially working across the nation's school districts, nice. um, you know, school turnarounds and principal coaching and all those types of things that the new teacher project does. And I supported, I, I was the head of human capital to basically make sure that they were walking the talk. They supported schools in terms of human capital, but they mm -hmm. needed to make sure that their organization actually had systems and processes and strategies in place on the human capital side. So that's what I was in charge of. And then I went to the, the uh, Girl Scouts from that point and got another iconic brand under my belt, which is an you know, old, iconic, um, well-known organization that essentially needed to go from the 20th century Girl Scouts to 21st. And so I was brought on board as the first um, chief business and talent officer to help move them uh, from you know, your sort of grandmother's Girl Scouts into the... Yeah into the 21st century for the 21st century girl. And that again was another transformative experience where I got to do a lot of um, kind of groundbreaking work to build a unit, to build or rebuild, because I had inherited um, you know, the existing model, but to rebuild it and to sort of reimagine it. You know, what could the Girl Scouts look like in terms of uh, people and talent management? Absolutely. I was also later put in, put in charge of property assets. And so the places and spaces and archives of the Girl Scouts was under my purview as well. So I had talent, culture and property assets. Wow. And the Girl Scouts is such an iconic brand that, you know, working at the headquarters was just another privilege and opportunity to um, kind of spread, spread my wings as a business leader, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the Girl Scouts, I mean, they're great organization, right? They've been around forever. But yeah. you're right. They, it didn't seem like the girls had all, as the opportunities that they needed to learn the things that needed to prepare them, you know, for life and selling cookies. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. But right. there's so many other things that they, they could learn. Have they updated that program now to give them more they, opportunities? They have, and they've continually updated. And I think part of the challenge that they've always had is that the work that they were doing to update and to uh, to add more programs and badges and, um, you know, levels, uh, you know, of aspiration for the girls often felt hidden from the public. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of, well, what are they really doing? You know, the girl, the, the uniforms look the same as what I remember, you know, a hundred years ago, you know, the, the selling of the cookies doesn't seem like it's changed. And so a lot of what their challenge was, was to actually reintroduce themselves to the public in a way that people could actually know, well, no, actually we, you know, we have badges in the sciences and, you know, in, in other areas that you wouldn't, um, that you wouldn't normally uh, associate with the Girl Scouts. And there's a lot of great work going on that just wasn't in view. And I think that was part of their challenge. And I also think they didn't um, stretch and grow in the ways that uh, every organization has to, and especially nonprofits, you have to be continually relevant to the people that you're serving. And again, if a 14 year old girl look, looks at that uniform and says, you know, wow, this is not exactly something I want to put on and <laughs> do anything in, yeah. you know, then you've got a big problem. And so relevancy in every aspect of what they do is something that they've, they've worked a lot, a lot on and, you know, have, have evolved and continue to evolve. Now they have other challenges, which is, you know, Boy Scouts, you know, having girls right. on in the ranks and, you know, how do they, how do they combat or compete compete uh, with, but, with what should be their rightly demographic. Yeah. But I, it, it seems like a lot of the girls wanted to go over to the Boy Scouts because they, 
appearance-wise anyways, on the surface, it looked like they were getting to do a lot more things, learn a lot more things. Yes. But now if you have the STEM type stuff within mm-hmm. the Girls Scouts, stuff like that, maybe maybe they can catch back up. Yeah. And, and again, they've in many ways had these programs. They just didn't do the best job of, of um, engaging the public and engaging the girls in them in ways that were appealing. And some of the programs and the and the uh, materials and the activities became stale, to be frank, as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think they've now kind of refocused and and recentered themselves on what's appealing to the to the 21st century girl, so that girls actually want to stay and and feel proud about you know rising through the ranks and the levels of of the Girl Scouts. I still think they have a long way to go. Um, being relevant and staying fresh is something that they, along with the rest of the nonprofits, really have to continue to do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah relevance is key. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me about some of the consulting you've done with WGN in HR. Well, I get uh, this is the amazing part of the work that I do because I get to work with some diverse, in every sense of the word, clients across primarily the financial services. Uh, industries, data science and technology, and the nonprofit industry. And so I'm essentially bringing my own background into the client realm now for my own business. And so I get to work with clients across those and other industries. And those three practice areas are, are, are um, they, they give me the kind of variety that I love. I thrive on variety. I get, you know, I don't like boxes. I don't fit well in boxes. Um, I, I like to think well outside of boxes. And so I don't like those kinds of limitations. And when I work with clients, I'm doing everything from massive transformations of their business, you know, whether it's, you know, a financial services, equity, ownership model to, you know, a transformation of a board that needs to really rethink how it's governing the organization. I get to work with board leaders, C-suite leaders, everyday leaders on those kinds of transformations, but I also get to find talent in my executive search practice. So I'm, you know, I'm working with whether it's data analytics firms or, or technology firms on finding the best talent there is out there. And right now that's a hard job. Mm-hmm. The market is hot and at the same time overheated, if you will, because there's so many people that are out there in the market, but finding the right talent for the right role at the right time is, is a little bit of a challenge. Uh, but I get to do that. I get to, you know, sort of create the best matchmaking um, mm-hmm. possible. And then the coaching part, which is a world that you know very well, mm-hmm. I get to do that for individuals and, and groups as well, helping people kind of get to that next level. I have a team of people that I don't just do all of this myself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I don't have a paid team, but I have freelancers, independent consultants that, um, are an extension of, 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 of the firm. And I bring on board depending on the project, depending on the, you know, scope and scale of it. So I get to work with some amazing people. Some of them I've, I've poached from my background and others are newbies, new, new folks that I've met. Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. And then you wrote a book, Tough as Nails. Tell me about Tough as Nails. Well, Tough as Nails has, it was a, um, in many ways, an, autobiographical endeavor, but very much focused on essentially every female leader out there, whether or not she knows she's a leader, she is a leader, whether or not she's found her voice, she has a voice. And so I wrote it for her. And it is, as Kirkus Reviews 
has described it much to my pleasure a well thought out career manual i think is a is a great kind of summary description of it because i i kind of take the reader from uh, you know sort of along a journey of figuring out ways to get out get out of your own way you know self defeating habits um you know ways in which you behave and styles that just you know may not be serving you very well as a leader in the workplace sure. but then help you to grow beyond that to, you know to sort of look at different tools and figure out different tools you can add to your your toolkit in order to show up at the table and actually be taken seriously yeah. and then how to be authentic once you do and then how to sort of you know get sharpen your elbows a little bit because you know the workplace <laughs> is not exactly um all you know you know rose roses and no. and lilies it, it can be a very tough place and sometimes even a toxic place and so i talk a lot about how to break through some of that too as you're finding your voice and using it nice yeah, yeah. getting out of your own way i think is huge because mm -hmm. we do that to ourselves we say no to ourselves before we've had a, or given the other person a chance to say no to us right we don't yes. apply because we tell ourselves how we're not quite qualified for that i've never done that before so-and-so is better than i am and so we don't even attempt now i'm yeah. kind of the opposite i'll try almost anything you know and <laughs> yeah. and uh when i first moved out to atlanta i had applied to law school i lived mm. in los angeles growing up um, I applied to law schools out here and I got rejection letters, very nice rejection letters from every <laughs> yeah. one of the law schools, but I keep those. I still have them they because really. I show them and I said, look, at least I tried, Yeah, you know, and yeah. a lot of people don't, they, they talk themselves out of it. Um, so that's a great from, strategy, Harlan, to actually keep those. That's, that's, that's re really very powerful. Yeah. It, it, it helps me when I start getting down on myself. It's like, you know, yeah. what? at least I'm out here doing it. At least I'm trying, Good you know, you. am yeah. I going to be the next Tony Robbins? Probably not. You know, who hey, is right. You never know, but at, at least get out there and try. And so I think that getting out of your way is, is huge. What other type of things do uh, all people, not just women, but what other thing do leaders do that kind of hold them back? Huh. Well, I think oftentimes, you know, the, rigidity that we can be that we can sort of enter situations where there's a lot of what, what you're talking about speaks to rigidity where there's a you know you don't want to try because number one there's a fear of a of, of failure but oftentimes we get into these ruts where we, you know we're comfortable doing what we've always done and oftentimes that could mean you essentially end up with you know five years worth of 20 years of experience meaning you really haven't grown over the years. You've just kind of done the same thing in different settings, but you haven't really stretched. You haven't really gotten uncomfortable. And that rigidity, I think, can hold you back as a leader. Uh, I talk about this certainly in my book, and this is for men and women. It doesn't matter. You can, you can thrive to me the best and the most when you're uncomfortable and you're doing things you've never done before. You're jumping in sort of feet first, Yes, with prep, you know, preparation and doing your homework and all of those things, but you're doing things that you've never done before. Because for me, the biggest successes in my own career have been things that I've just, I've never taken on before. Sure. You know, I've never run a business before. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel that, I, you know, there's a lot of runway that I have and, uh, you know, I'm praying for success and um, I'm having a great time and there's a lot that I'm learning but I wouldn't experience any of that if I just didn't say yes to it. You know, I'm not going to be rigid. I'm not going to just continue to do what I've always done and be comfortable in that blanket of, 
you know, familiarity. Yeah. I think a leader has to become unfamiliar with their circumstances in order to grow. Absolutely. What's that that quote that everything you've ever wanted to be is just outside of your comfort zone? Mm, that's you true. You have to say yes. You have to step out. And I've I've done it in the past. It hasn't always worked out for me, but you know, you you go in for a new job or a consulting project or something, and and they ask, "Can you do X?" Mm. Yes, I can. Yes. And then I'm on the phone to my wife. How do I, I do this? Exactly. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, it's but so you, I think you're right. You you have to get out of that comfort zone. And that's part of the uh, intellectual courage. The ability to take the knowledge that you have and set it aside to make room for new knowledge, right? Because there's always new things coming up, new ways to approach things. Um, the one thing that, that drives me crazy is the people that say, well, this is the way we've always done it. Yeah, yeah. I hate that phrase. Yeah. I know. It drives me crazy. Yeah. And, and you'll always get the same results. That's the yes. end of that sentence, right? Exactly. Yeah, if you keep doing what you've been doing, you'll keep getting what you've been getting. Yeah, right. I think there's a definition in there of insanity somewhere. <laughs> Something like insanity. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it, it, your book, do you have like case studies or do you tell stories about these different people or is it all your background and your your history? Oh, no, I bring, I bring in it's a lot of, a lot of research from um, some well-known situations and studies, but also, uh, you know, experiences of other leaders, um, some of the experiences that I've witnessed firsthand, I don't attribute, you know, to the individual or to yeah. the particular company or organization for the obvious sure. reasons, but names are changed to protect, yes, the, innocent. protect yes. the innocent kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's all in there. Yeah. It's all, 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 all referenced and sort of con, you know, the context is, is there as, as to what the, what the issues are, whether that's toxic cultures, whether that's being able to um, sort of uh, manage up and across to a C-suite, you know, whether it's, you know, helping to kind of course correct when you feel like you've gone, you've gone off the rails, whether it's yeah. figuring out how to use your voice when it's really scary to do it, whether, what, whatever it is, um, you know, I try to back it up with real examples. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So in your, in your background, um, you've had employees working for you? You said right now oh, yeah. you have contractors. Have you worked? Yes. Have you had employees? Oh yeah, I've had, I've, I've managed um, teams large and small across my uh, virtually my entire career. Uh, when I first started out, it you know was probably the individual contributor in the early days of of GE Capital. But um, not long after that, I've had teams, um, you know, several several uh, you know three or four, let's say, all the way up to you know, as many as, as 40 or, or, or 50, probably at the largest. And the yeah. international team, which is mm -hmm. a challenge always. Always um, a challenge. Yes. So if I was to bump into any one of these individuals on the road and mm -hmm. ask them about you, uh, what would they tell me? Uh, what type of leader would they say you are? Huh, well, I, I will pull from what I believe I've heard across the time I've, I've, you know, spent working with with different teams, and I've and I've definitely grown in these areas too. But I do think that they would say that I'm empathetic, um, that I, you know, that I I bring that level of empathy to situations because that's kind of it's kind of how I operate. You know, it's kind of um, what motivates me so personally I, I kind of like to deal with the whole person and so i think they would describe me as an empathetic 
leader, I think they would say that I was a, a nuanced leader. I'm very much um, situational in my leadership. You know, I, and I've learned this the hard way, trust me, Harlan, over the years where, you know, one size doesn't fit all at all. You know, when you, you sort of try to go after a particular issue or manage a particular situation and you're not nuanced around it or, uh, you know, adjusting for the person or adjusting for the, for the circumstance, uh, it doesn't go well. So I've, I've learned definitely to be nuanced in how I think about managing a team, managing a person, getting a project from start to finish. I'm very results oriented. Anyone that knows me and has worked with me will tell you, you know, it's about getting stuff done. We're not here to have good conversation. All, you know, yes, we can do that, but we've got to get stuff done. Exactly. Um, and so, so driver, a driver, um, I do like to drive. <laughs> um, and maybe they, they would, they would, I would say, think that I was a bold and I am a bold leader that goes back to not wanting to do the same things the same way and to think outside of the box. I just, I find that to be incredibly boring and, and boldness in leadership is a, to me, it's required, especially these days where there are circumstances that none of us have seen before. And if you're not bold to kind of come up with some different solutions, you're just kind of saying the same thing that everybody else is saying that, you know, that you read in an article, it just, boldness, I think is, is so critical. And I think people would describe me that way. Nice. Yeah. One thing I learned from consulting is you can't apply, even if you have processes, tools, everything like that, you can't apply them exactly the same for every Never. client. Yes. There has to be nuances. There has to be things that That's you're, right. because if you engage with the client, you learn a little bit about them and, you know, consulting is a, a, a science, but it's an art too. You know, the science is all the tools and templates you have. And the art is knowing when to apply, when to push, when yes, to pull, right? That's exactly right. That's a great uh, analogy. Uh, and it's, uh, it makes me think of clients that I'm working with today, where there's a lot of what I'm doing on some of the more complex work, the transformational work, um, a financial services client in particular, where a lot of what we're doing is very nuanced and very much an art it's pulling different leaders together, different leadership styles and trying to get to a yes, get to a decision. It's really very hard. And so you can't just bring the same cookie cutter approach to, to, to things like that. You're right. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So when it comes to courage, um, what type of courage do you think is most important for an entrepreneur? Let's say. Mm. Well, I think you have to be able to say that you're able to take smart risks, you know, that you are courageous in that. One of the things I found, I remember when I first started off, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I had a bit of a side hustle before I, I brought it into the main hustle. So in 2015, when that the business was birthed, as I described it, it wasn't my main role at, at early on, it was a side hustle. And one of the reasons why I spent so much time keeping it on the side was because I was afraid of the risk. I didn't have the courage to sort of say, you know what, I've got to lay, I'm going to put all my chips out here. I'm not sure where this, you know, is going to head. I don't know. Um, but I have to, I have to take a calculated risk and then I've got to take the risk because all what I found and what I would advise other, you know, people and certainly entrepreneurs to think about is that doing nothing is also a risk. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I found that doing nothing was a risk. It actually, it actually delayed my calling, to be honest, you know, that I, taking the time to, to assess 
my own personal risk tolerance, you know, income level, you know, savings, you know, what cash on hand do I feel comfortable with, you know, what expenses will I have, do I, what will I anticipate not only as a startup, but also, you know, that I'll have to maintain, who should I get around me, you know, as my sort of circle of influencers that can help make my job um, easier and motivate me when I feel, you know, discouraged, you know, what's my plan, where's my vision board, assessing risk in very tangible ways, as a leader, I think is absolutely critical, especially for entrepreneurs, where risk is built into the equation. The question is how much risk are you willing to tolerate? But always remember doing nothing is a risk. Absolutely. That is a great point. I don't think people understand that as much because a lot of people are comfortable in that nine to five world, right? That's their their safety zone. Somebody else worries about this. Somebody else takes Mm -hmm. the stress. They have the headaches. They make the decisions. I just collect the paycheck Mm -hmm. and that's comfortable for some people. but for you, it doesn't seem like it's quite enough. Where did you find that courage to say, I want more, I deserve more, I can be more? Where did you mm. find that courage? Well, I think part of that sort of emotional courage comes out of a place, at least for me, can't speak for everyone, but at least for me, out of a sort of a soul crushing experience of, I'm just not happy. I, I courage, um, is is no longer an option it's a it's a sort of a a necessity for me i've got to be courageous enough to get out of a situation that's no longer working for me a a soul crushing feeling every day regardless of how high you know highly visible the role was i was at a c-suite level you know i had lots of responsibilities and people that reported to me was making you know pretty good income yeah that wasn't enough because inside I always felt like I was leaving about 40%, some somewhere like 40% of myself on the table wow. that I wasn't tapping into that potential fully. That's a soul crushing yeah. feeling every day. Feeling yeah. that way is just not, it wasn't sustainable for me. So that emotional courage was summoned by the flip side of just being miserable and not wanting to be miserable anymore, not wanting to, to look back you know, in 10 years and say, why didn't I just do something about that? You know? Yeah. And so I, I took that leap. Awesome. Yeah. I, essentially the same for me working for a lot of different companies and just, it's like, they're, I want to do more. I want to, you know, explore this, but you're within the confines of the company where well, you can't yes. really do that. Um, yeah. W- one thing I hate is one of the lies perpetrated, I think is where they tell you your career is your own right? Mm. You can be anything you want to be. Well, as long as it fits in, you know, little margins. Um, And that's when I decided, no, I I want to do something more. I want to get out and do it. Yeah. Um, So if you had it to do over again, would you follow the same path? Would you do things differently? Mm. Oh, it's a great question. I mean, I, there's, there's a part of me that says I would have taken the leap earlier, you know, sort of assessed my personal risk tolerance earlier and recognized that doing nothing was a risk. But then the other part of me says, well, had I, had I done that earlier, I wouldn't have been ready. I wouldn't have been as ready. I feel ready today. I feel stronger today emotionally. I I feel like I've found my voice uh, now for some time and I'm able to help others, you know, in that same vein. I couldn't have done all of those things. I don't, 
I don't think if it, if, it, if it were earlier. So I don't think I would have done things differently. Um, I think I would have just been more open to the discomfort. You know, if, if I had to do it all over again, I yeah. would have embraced the discomfort sooner. Yeah. And more. I like that. So yeah, would that be your recommendations then to a brand new entrepreneur to embrace that discomfort? Yes. I, you know, because there's so much that's unknown. There are a lot of certainly known unknowns, but there are a lot of unknown unknowns yeah. for entrepreneurs. You have no idea what's around the, the corner. You, you, you know, there's certain things you haven't done before. Uh, you're managing vendor relationships. You're figuring out, you know, the, the budgetary component mm -hmm. in a way that uh, you never had to really think about before. You know, you're dealing with people and personalities that are varied across a client portfolio. You're, you're trying to continue to keep yourself motivated when there's nobody to sort of pop in. There's, there's no office to pop into. Right you know, necessarily to say, Hey, you know, how's it going? What do you, what do you think about this? Or what do you, you know, sometimes it's just me, myself and I, yeah. you know, certainly my husband plays an enormously um, helpful role. Oh, absolutely. As a yeah. business partner to me in so many ways, but that's different. Than, I mean, that's me. It's just me, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, you have to embrace the discomfort around, around that and, and not shrink from it. I think that's my biggest piece of advice. I do. Yeah. And how would you tell them to prepare? To do this, because like you said, you if you started too early, you may not have had all the the knowledge and skills and, mm -hmm. and experiences. Um, how would you how would you counsel them on on getting those experiences so they can branch out? Because I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that say I want to be independent, but they don't know how to take that first step. Yeah, I do think that there's a level of homework that you do have to do. You know, there's a there's a personal level of homework, and then there's a landscape of homework. So the, on the personal level, yeah, your risk tolerance and, you know, there are lots of great assessment tools as to, you know, figuring out what you're comfortable with, but then understanding what you're, what, not only what you're good at, but what motivates you at the same time. Because sometimes right. you can be really good at certain things, but you really don't like to do them. Right. So you've got to find that marriage, that intersection of what you're, you, you, you're really good at what people compliment you on all the time and are constantly saying, well, you're the go-to person for this or that. And then where are your passions? And if that, in, at that point of intersection, that's really where you want to double down and figure out, okay, well, what does that, what does that look like in the, in the scheme of possibilities of what I could be doing and spending my time on? What might that field be? Yeah. And I think taking a step, you know, into sort of doing your homework in the landscape of things means, you might want to hold on to your day job for a little bit, you know, and sort yeah. of take baby steps, you know, as I did, I, like I said, it was a side hustle for a long time. You know, I think that was a smart move so that I could really, mm -hmm. you know, find my sea legs in certain areas right. and, and figure out how I wanted to shape the business and what kind of business plan I needed to put together and um, what kind of portfolio was I building? Would I have enough clients to sort of take the leap? So you really want to do your homework foundationally. Yeah. you know, in, in the industry that you're choosing or creating, or creating. Um, yeah. you know, to, to actually know whether or not and when to take that leap. So homework de definitely matters. Your own personal homework, but, but sort of the broader, the broader homework as well. Yeah. Yeah. As you were talking about that, I, I was thinking of a, a diagram I used to use where clients haven't used it in a while, but you've seen a Venn diagram with the three mm -hmm. circles, how they overlap. This one yeah. is four circles. It's uh, what are you really good at? What do you love to do? 
what does the world need and what is mm. the world willing to pay for? That's good. And then those intersections are your vocation, the intersections are exactly. your, your, and in the very center where they all meet, that's where your passion is. That's where you should drive, you know, to get that's to that. Because I think that's yeah. important. Um, and the other thing you said that, you know, every decision we make comes with consequences, mm -hmm. right? Every decision you make, um, they could be positive consequences. They could be negative. Um, I have a, a tool that I created called the Roscoe framework. And it talks about, okay, these are the results you're after. You have your goal, but the results are all the, the motivational things that come with that, right? Uh, winning a, a NASCAR mm -hmm. race is the checkered flag, but mm -hmm. the result, that's your goal. The results are the points, the standing, the right. purse, right? The champagne, the girl, whatever. <laughs> Those are all the things that motivate you to win. Right. At the end of that Roscoe framework, the O is the un, unintentional or unexpected consequences. Mm. What else comes with that? And are you willing? Is that something that's too costly? Right. Right. Um, when I talk to people, it's about something simple as like losing weight. Okay. If I lose weight, one of the outcomes mm -hmm. is I'm going to need to buy new clothes. Is right. that an acceptable? Well, yeah, it's a good trade-off. Absolutely. You want to double your revenue. Well, one way you can do that is by increasing the price of your products and services, right? That right. impacts your bottom line directly. One of the outcomes is you may lose customers, right? You have right. to weigh that, that outcome and stuff. So I, I think people need to look at those consequences and play that. What if game, what if That's I right. do this, what's it going to look like at the end? And it, can I live with that? Right. Right. And I think a lot of times people think about weighing pros and cons and then weighting those pros and cons in terms of what's most important as, you know, technical exercises that are just reserved for, you know, some analytical project, but your life is what the biggest exercise you're going to, you, that you're going to need to face and to manage well. And I think being able to really sketch out what are the pros and cons of these decisions is a, a very important way to come to conclusion around things that are just kind of swirling around in your head and you're getting different pieces of advice and all this data. Um, put it, put it to paper, put it to computer to talk about pros and cons and in ways that are just a little bit more disciplined so that you're not falling victim to things like confirmation bias, where, yes. you know, you've been thinking and thinking and thinking about something and therefore it is, and you've already agreed in your head that this is how it's, you know, how it should turn out. But all you're doing is confirming, confirming your own bias. Right. Or you go to that person that, you know, thinks the way you do exactly. and you ask them, and of course they're going to say yes to whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. find, find a mentor, pick up mm -hmm. a good book, you know, read through what decisions other people have made and things like that. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. Like I said, try to and, find and your voice. Right? And don't discount your own database of knowledge. Sure. You know, we've, we've lived for decades. We've amassed an amazing database of experiences and knowledge, and we should tap, tap into that as opposed to always assuming someone else has the answers. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you, where can they find you? What's your website? Do you have a website? I do. I have, uh, so remember who's got next is that WGN. And so it's WGNNHR-consulting.com. Okay. And so you can find the website there. Lots of great stuff on the website in terms of what I do. Um, happy to engage on a free consultation so that we can have a great conversation at minimum and who knows what else Excellent. beyond that. I also am on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. And so okay. you can just put in my name, Joanne Rencher, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with people on LinkedIn. Very cool. Um, I, you know, always happy to, 
to uh, have people reach out to me via email. So my my email address is 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 uh, found on the website, but jrencher at wgnnhr-consulting is another way to reach me. But my book is a great way to just reach me through your Absolutely. own experiences and your own, you know, sort of journey, because I, I, I wrote it for, for people. I wrote it for the, the folks, anybody listening, even if you're a guy, it's, it's a yeah, book. Guys that, read. Yeah. 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 So you don't have to, you know, it's as tough as nails finding your voice as a woman, but Hey, there's a lot of stuff in there that is, has got application across the board for sure. So um, I'm on Amazon. The book okay. is on Amazon, Tough as Nails, Finding Your Voice as a Woman in the Workplace. Perfect. And can they get that from your website too or just Amazon? They can go. I actually have a an author author's website, joannerencher.com. Okay. Uh, and so you can absolutely find the book and an excerpt also, a couple of excerpts of, on the on the book of the book in on my website. But the book is on Amazon. Very cool. Yeah, that is awesome. So uh, just before I let you go, you have done so much already. All the work that you've done internationally, coaching, consulting different companies, uh, the awards you've won, you've written a book. What's next for Joanne? <laughs> Speaking of who's got next, right? Yeah. What? What's next? Um, you know, I am very eager to see what levels this business can get to. For me, it's about taking the limits in my mind off of what this business can do and be for people around the globe. Right. And, and that's exciting for me because I don't know what directions that might mean. I don't know, you know, in terms of size and scope, and I'm very much okay with that because I wanna keep pushing that envelope mm -hmm. as far as it takes me. Because at the end of the day, obviously, I'm in it to grow a business and to grow, you know, to grow revenue, but I'm in it to make a difference in people's lives. And so if I can be reaching more people through this business, more businesses, more um, boards, more C-suiters, more individuals, um, that's why I feel I'm here. So I want to see just how big this thing can get. Excellent. Yeah. Um, speaking engagements? Are you open to speaking engagements? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love speaking engagements. I love asked to be to be part of panels and uh, you know, I love doing keynotes or even just being on on the on the program, sharing experiences and content and knowledge, but also learning from fellow panelists and 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 program leads, I think is always a good thing. And I, I'm always up for that. So always, awesome. always open to that. Very cool. Well, hopefully people will reach out to you and invite you to come so. and, and speak to the group. Joanne, thank you so much. This has thank been great. I've really enjoyed been. speaking with you. I will Same have here. all of your information um, in the show notes uh, for this. So people will reach out and get in touch with you and good luck with whatever comes next. Thank you so much, Harlan. It's been a real pleasure and I've really enjoyed the conversation. I really Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Thank we'll you. have you on again when your next book comes out. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, hope you guys have enjoyed this. Hope you were taking notes because there's a lot of good takeaways from this. Um, and if you did like this episode, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. <laughs> <laughs>